the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Hey there, for the 199th time, welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. It's hard to believe, but there's just one more episode to go before our 200th. If you're just now joining us, I hope you'll subscribe and check out our previous episodes. A great starting point is the start of our current season, season six, where we've been focusing on how to operationalize and scale consumer-first care. Season six starts at episode number 170. Again, that's episode number 170. If you haven't yet, I hope you'll check it out. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about how the desire to build a better experience is often overshadowed by the economics of how to do it. What is Providence Digital Innovation Group predicting about new tech-enabled service models and how they'll impact consumer-first care? I'll talk about that. Then we wrap up season six with the final episode in our three-part series about how words can transform healthcare. The one, the only Dan Dunlop is back in the house to share some provocative and influential thinking about how those of us in the healthcare industry can make a big impact by changing our language. We'll dive deep into the language of love versus the language of war and power that's often used today in everything from our business strategy to our patient interactions. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. flavor of the week. More than ever, one size does not fit all in healthcare, especially when it comes to how it's paid for. Sara Vaezi and Aaron Martin, leaders of Providence Digital Innovation Group, recently posted their 2022 digital predictions, and one of them was that the health system business model bifurcation will accelerate. They referred to the evolution of business models that was taking place pre-pandemic, where healthcare economic models continue to increasingly fall into one of two categories. First, consumer-driven models unconstrained by historical insurance-driven payment mechanisms. And second, risk and value-driven models, primarily for special populations with compressible costs. They then share their prediction that 2022 will contribute to the rise of new tech-enabled service models around specific patient populations, conditions, and complete episodes of care. For instance, they said 2020 and 2021 saw several major successful IPOs for the first generation of clinic models like One Medical, Iora Health, which is now acquired by One Medical, Village MD, and Oak Street Health. The next generation of these models, such as Everside, CityBlock, and TIA, will continue to gain momentum and drive new consumer and employer financing models such as subscriptions. These in turn will drive new forms of consumer-driven engagement, they said. I'm intrigued by the term tech-enabled service models partially because it also matches my list of the four pillars that consumer health strategy is built on. First, experience design. What does the experience look like? Second, tech architecture. How do we build it? Third, business model. How do we make it profitable? And fourth, brand. How do we influence behaviors and drive actions? 
I believe it takes work across all four pillars to create consumer-first care. In many ways, including a majority of incumbent payer-provider-hospital-centric care, the desire to build a better experience is overshadowed by the economics of how to do it. It's time to work together across these four pillars. We need to get finance to sit at the table with the experience design team, the tech innovation team, and the marketing and branding team. That's when we'll see momentum because we'll no longer be leaving anyone out of the conversation. And that's when progress will become mainstream. So let's get there and let's speed up the process so we get there faster. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. All right, everybody, give it up for Dan Dunlop. Dan's back in the house to share some provocative thinking about how words matter and what that means for healthcare consumers and for providers and for the organizations that we serve. Uh, I couldn't be happier to welcome Dan back to the program. For those of you who who missed this, in addition to knowing all the work he's done over the years, there was something really cool that happened just a couple months back. Dan actually received the John L. Thomas and Lifetime Achievement Award. I didn't tell him I was going to mention this on yeah. air, but I think it's important. He was re- awarded that by Chiprams, the Carolinas Healthcare, Public Relations and Marketing Society. Uh, their Lifetime Achievement Award is just something I do not want to understate. It tells you about the body of work, essentially, and the type of person Dan is. So with that intro, Dan. Welcome back to the Healthcare Wrap. Thanks, Jared. I'll do the same thing to you and congratulate you on winning the Healthcare Marketer of the Year Award from HitMix. So uh, I'm in good company today. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know you were going to bring that up either. So, uh, okay. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) How are things been going for you? Oh, it's great. I'm excited to be starting a new year. Can't wait to see what 2022 has in store for us and and um, and continue, you know, partnering with people like you, thought leaders in the industry and seeing where we can go. You know, the scary thing about winning some kind of award that's a lifetime achievement, it makes it sound like you were at the end. And I am hopefully far from at the end. I, I have a lot of work I want to do and we have a lot of work and I know you know that, but we have a lot of work we need to do in this industry to make it more responsive to the needs of patients, the people we serve, and frankly, to take better care of of our employees and the the people who work within these healthcare institutions. So I'm really excited about the opportunity that 2022 brings. And, And again, even more work in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's an area where we've got a lot of every Everybody has a lot of ground to make up there, but certainly in healthcare, we have a lot of ground to make up. So there's all kinds of work for us. So I'm excited. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the wording you're using already, words like opportunity and partner and equity and inclusion, this is not accidental. This is how you live, Dan. Like this is the type of person you are. Those are the ways you see the world. And I think that goes without saying that we need more of that. We just need more more people in our industry who recognize things as opportunities instead of just saying, oh, well, that's too hard. Like, that's a challenge. Okay, well, let's do something else. You are uh, heads down working on things like challenges that you see in the industry. And let's see if we can make some progress there. I think it's just another reason I'm glad to call you a friend and, and somebody who I can look up to. So great to have you back because, you know, not only for that, but this whole thought of how words matter, this is a perfect way to kind of bridge the gap with this season six that we've talked all about how to operationalize consumer health care and what that means. And we've 
gone to, to great lengths, I'd say, to talk about the tech behind it and the service design behind it, the experience design behind it. And all of that comes back to the wording that we use with patients and consumers about their health. And Dan, one, one super cool thing is when the last time we saw each other, you were speaking to me about a new way that you were looking at very intentionally shifting the way we talk about healthcare within our industry. Talk me through that. Like, like how, did, how did this even kind of come about to you? And, and what's this new theme that you've kind of latched onto? Yeah, thanks for that setup, Jared. I, I've been trying to think today as I was anticipating us doing this podcast, I was trying to remember where did this idea originate? And I, I have to give a shout out because I don't think there's an original idea out there in the world. I think, you know, everything is inspired by something else. And I, I'm really lucky to be surrounded by great colleagues, people like you, people like Colin Hung, Nick Adkins with his Pink Socks movement. So I meet all these really cool people and they inspire me and provoke thoughts. And so I don't know where this came from, but my theme that you're pointing me toward, my theme for 2022 is love. It's such a weird thing to talk about love. And that in and of itself is a sign about where we are as a culture and as an industry. But really, I've glommed onto this idea sometime last year Probably in the second half of the year, I started thinking about love and the language of love and how we speak, the language we use, the lexicon that we bring to healthcare communications, how we speak with consumers. And I'll just, I'll make this really simple. In a lot of industries, and I, I am not just talking about advertising and marketing. In fact, advertising and marketing might be the least important of all the areas where we talk about love, but, but I'll start there. With, with advertising and marketing, think about the industries where, or, and the companies that are willing to talk about love openly in their advertising and branding work. So who does that? And I, I, you have to really think, and I, I can think of two companies immediately where they use love in their marketing. Southwest Airlines is one, and they have the little heart icon. You see it on all their planes, and they really do have a different way of treating people than other airlines. And then the second company that uses love, and I love their advertising, is Subaru. And I'm not a Subaru guy, but Subaru evokes love in almost all of their marketing. Even when they're not using the language of love, they are evoking love through the music that they use, through the relationships of the people in their ads, whether they're using dogs or human beings. They are an organization that puts love out in front, you know, on the face of their brand. As I think about those, I think about, well, Shouldn't we be able to market love and to talk about love and, and use that kind of nurturing, embracing language in healthcare of all places? Love cures, you know, love should be an ingredient in what we bring to the table in healthcare, both for our employees, I will add, and for the patients and the families that, that come through the door. But that has not been the case. You know, we we have not used the language of love. In fact, industries in America, you know, whether it's healthcare or, or manufacturing or whatever, we use the language of war. It's the exact opposite of love. Think about it. You know, business language across the world came out of the language of war, where you have strategies, tactics, 
tactics. You know, you have audiences that you target, you engage. Even my company, when we have a new client and we're brainstorming a campaign for a new client, we create a war room. We take a conference room and plaster all the work on the wall and come up with ideas. But for years, we've always called that a war room. That is standard language in the advertising industry. That kind of language has a cost. And I think that's the point of, of this conversation today, Jared, that the language you use has an effect. You know, it has an impact. So if you use a language of love, in your marketing and in your internal communication, if you really truly make it part of your culture, which has to happen, then that has a significant impact on outcomes for your organization versus if you use the language of war, which is the predominant language in business in America, that has its impact. And I'll give you an example. So the language of war is exclusionary. It's exclusive to men predominantly. So at a time when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the language of war is exactly not what you want. It is a language of exclusivity, and it excludes people who don't feel comfortable with it. And I I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was part of a team working on a crisis in a hospital. And she was talking about how when they would get in their war room at the hospital to, to deal with this crisis, how she and the other female member of that team, there were there's probably 16 people and only two of them were women, how they felt so excluded by the approach that these men were taking to this particular crisis because they were totally driven by that language of war. And it wasn't nurturing. It wasn't caring. It wasn't kind. So really, language can have a huge impact on not only how we're perceived, but how how people relate to us. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Healthcare marketers juggling lots to do. Gotta keep patients healthy. Coming back to you, knowing which words will lead more patients to act is not an easy feat, as a matter of fact. Competition heating up, new players on the rise. Persado has the right words already optimized. Just plug in the content, turn it on, and your campaign blues will soon be gone. Persado provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized marketing messaging focused on improving health goals and business objectives. Persado's journey-based content uses the right words proven to drive conversions among the customers that matter most. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com. Consumer experiences, major disruptors in AI tech are shaping healthcare for years to come. We're data rich, but information poor. Data without decisions is just distraction. You have to show results. That's how you build trust. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on these issues with the leaders who are driving change. And we hope that these stories will help you to create or demand a better future within healthcare. Don't miss out. Follow Hello Healthcare. Okay, back to the flow. That's quite a thought because I think we just take so many of these things for a given that we call it a war room and that we we just assume that a strategy, like you were saying, a strategy is linked to war mm-hmm. and conquering somebody or something rather than it just all leads to the way that we see things. And then if we sit back and we're trying to unravel the challenges 
of delivering care today and we're wondering why certain things don't reach and, and connect, then we have to examine things like this. We have to look at where are the origins of all these things? We don't have to take it for granted that that's the way that we approach things. And in a, I will tell you in this decade that we are in now, like the next eight to 10 years, I see us talking a lot more about partnerships in the healthcare space. You know, you talk about how unsustainable financially a lot of health systems are finding their current trajectory and how are they even going to staff themselves in the years to come? There were staffing shortages well before COVID. And now we're talking about record staffing shortages. We're, we're on this path right now as an industry that that isn't sustainable. And so to be able to say, how, how are we going to figure out what type of healthcare actually makes sense for consumers? How do we connect with them? Well, it does come back to the way we reach out to them the way we communicate with them. And it's one of those things that can just easily be taken for granted, I think, that that's the way that we communicate. And, and we have to do that to protect our, our market share. And that's what we have to do to, yeah, to reach our growth goals or whatnot. Because when you're focused on something like growing your market share, that's taking away from somebody else, yeah. instead of thinking, how do we create a partnership that can actually benefit both? It just, it closes you off to the, in my mind, I've seen it with leadership. It closes you off to opportunities that actually could benefit both of you if you just looked at it. And so I think it all comes back to what you were just saying, just the, the way we approach it, the way we talk about it. Yeah, Jared, you nailed it when you started talking about partnership. I was having the same thought at the moment you mentioned it. With the, the war metaphor, you see the crosstown competitor as the enemy. And, and they're not in healthcare. That's not the case, or at least it shouldn't be the case. You know, they're not the enemy. We want to collaborate and have partnerships. If we're going to truly embrace new models of care and change healthcare in America, which we fundamentally need to do. And if we're ever going to take on the social determinants of health, we have to do that through collaboration with other organizations. And one of the barriers to collaboration has always been that public health organizations and community organizations are intimidated by the big healthcare organization in town, the big hospital system. And we need to not be intimidating. We need to go to them with open arms. We need to embrace them. We need to be kind and nurturing to them, just as you hope we would be to our patients. And that's going to allow us to partner with them, to form these relationships that allow us to be really creative in how we take on the social determinants of health, how we address housing, food deserts, the opioid crisis, all those things. So it is just fundamental to who we are, you know, that language that we use. So, and you, another thing you mentioned, Jared, that I think was right on is this condition we're in right now where I, I think the biggest crisis in healthcare today, and I don't think this is controversial to say it, is employment. We are not able to retain employees and attract new employees. That is the crisis. We cannot staff our hospitals, health systems, clinics, the way we need to do to meet the need of our patients right now. It is truly a staffing crisis. And people are leaving hospitals, employees are leaving hospitals in large numbers. And a big part of it, I believe, is a cultural crisis. It is the culture within these organizations is not loving and kind and nurturing. It is not. We are working these people to death. And then 
and not being appreciative. And, and when we do show appreciation, it's it doesn't feel genuine. I, I think, Jared, you and I have talked in the past just on the side about some of the appreciation campaigns that hospitals did for patient for for their staff during COVID, where they put these signs on the front lawn of the hospital saying, you know, we love our healthcare heroes. And I would drive all over. I live in North Carolina and I would drive all over Durham, North Carolina. And I drive by the different hospitals and even nursing homes and clinics. And they would have these signs and half the time they're falling down and they're, they're not well kept and there's nothing behind it. You know, it's just a sign and it's fake. Truthfully, what are you doing to show that you appreciate the these employees. How are you trying to make a difference for them as they're going through this crisis and they have families that are having to deal with COVID? So what is the substance behind that thing? And, and, you know, I would read on Facebook from nurses commenting on these signs saying, you know what, they don't care about me. This is just a PR thing for them to connect with the community. And they're using us They're using nurses because they know that the, the community relates to nurses to have people feel good about their brand. And genuinely, I read comment after comment from nurses who were upset with the way hospitals use them as a PR tool through this campaign. So I think re-examining our relationships with our employees and saying, you know what, and it has to be genuine. If, if you're not willing to become a loving, nurturing organization, then don't go down this road and don't try to use the language of love in the way you relate to your employees. But if you are genuinely willing to do this, it could make a huge difference in your ability to retain and attract employees. And I know in, in Reno, Nevada, Dr. Tony Sloan, who's the CEO there and a client of mine, you know, he during the, the peak of the pandemic, he brought this huge love sculpture and put it on the front lawn of the hospital because he wanted employees to know it wasn't for the community. He wanted his employees to feel loved. He wanted them to know that they are loved. And it is part of their culture there at the organization. It works with who they are. So it was genuine and it didn't backfire. For a lot of organizations, it would have been a horrible PR move and it would have backfired on them and they would have had more disgruntled employees. Right, so that speaks to the need of like you were saying, it's gonna be really become clear if somebody tries this and their employees, their staff are like, yeah, that's not how it works here. Uh, you'll you'll find out really quickly and it'll turn into a PR nightmare. And I think that's an important part of this strategy, dare I say, it, because the, yeah. this is very much a managing up issue or challenge, I suppose. When you talk about Southwest, it made me think one of their hubs is here in Phoenix, I should mm-hmm. say. So, so they are typically my uh, airline of choice. And thinking back you know, the last several times I've encountered their staff and there is something different. And it's not just because they put up a poster that said, you know, we've got a heart symbol on here. It's because they live it. And so it has to be something where it's not just the language itself. You have to live it and it has to come from the top down. It has to be part of the culture. And that's one of the takeaways for me is to be very conscious of the language that your culture is based on and see how you can make some minor tweaks to the language and then see how that affects the culture throughout the organization. I've seen, I've seen that go the other way where from the very, from the top, it's very apparent that they see everyone as an enemy, as a competitor. I mean, why, why do you suppose the 
conversation in general from health system leaders right now is viewing retail establishments, CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Amazon, you name it, as competitors, competitive threats. Every slide deck I've seen from any health system in the last year and a half on any digital strategy, there's that slide at the very beginning that says, here are our new competitive threats. And it says big retail and it says big tech. And it says all these other players, non-traditional payer providers that are all coming into the space. And I'm like, well, there we go. If, if that's all we see, then we will never even consider the possibility of partnering with them. And we won't even consider like those public health institutions like you were talking about that are actually there and likely have an opportunity to solve some of the things that end up leading people to to come in and, and see and come back into the ER, you know, readmissions. And, and it, it's just, it's one of those dominoes that they have to think like keep going upstream in this in this string of dominoes like what's the cause of all this like what are the symptoms and what's the cause and and i'm convinced that this is part of the cause is the way that we've we've seen ourselves view these quote unquote competitive threats and so i think it's it's just part of this conversation of like look, look how far reaching we just covered like three or four or five different yeah. applications of how you can adjust the language they're using and how it could lead to a different outcome and solve problems that you probably didn't realize that were capable of being solved in this way. I, I just think it's, I think we're just be, barely beginning to to tap into this. And I, I, I see why this was on your mind because uh, of how much of an impact I think it could have. Yeah. And Jared, I have to give a shout out to Nick Adkins and the, the Pink Socks movement, and Nick is one of the founders of the Pink Socks movement. Their whole philosophy is about spreading love and kindness and generosity. And they've had a huge impact on my thinking over the years and, and meeting Nick and knowing Nick. He's had a big impact on my thinking. I mean, here's a guy who had this corporate career. He was in a three, you know, three-piece suit kind of job. And uh now he's he's got this long beard and he's wearing a kilt every day. I think the only time he didn't wear a kilt was to his two children each got married and he, they required him to wear normal pants. But but other than that, he is just out there making friends. And he was motivated in the healthcare industry. That's where this movement started. He was in healthcare IT and he saw that that we were getting away from that kindness and nurturing that is so important in healthcare. And the movement has spread far beyond healthcare now. And Nick gets in a van that's all decked out in pink socks graphics and and love more. And uh, it's just incredible. But, and he travels around the country and they're they're bringing this, this kindness program, almost a curriculum into public schools to help address bullying. It's really phenomenal. And, you know, you and I are friends and we can talk about love to each other and how, you know, I love you, Jared. But it's an uncomfortable topic right now in most health systems to start talking about we're going to love our employees. We're going to treat our employees with kindness and compassion. And it shouldn't be uncomfortable, but it really is. So, So we have a long way to go. And I think a program like Pink Socks helps break down some of those barriers. You know, employees begin to see that this whole idea of talking about kindness and caring and love and nurturing isn't ridiculous. It's really important. And, you know, you treat people as you are treated. 
I believe that. And if we treat our employees with kindness and compassion, they're going to treat their patients with kindness and compassion. And we're going to attract that right kind of patient. You know, you're always going to have CEOs and administrators of health systems who are bottom line driven and who do operate from that business warm mentality. Just like you're always going to have CEOs and administrators who don't get the social determinants of health. They don't understand how in the end that's going to get us to the right outcome. You know, they're worried that that's not feeding their service lines and driving revenue for the hospital. And that's such a short-sighted perspective. So it takes time to make that kind of change. But I'm going to spend at least this year dedicated to the language of love and doing presentations around the country on the topic. I'm going to write articles on the topic and I'm going to do everything I can to move it forward because I think I think there's nothing more important right now, especially given our need to attract employees and to retain employees within health systems. And if you don't change your corporate culture, I don't know how these hospitals are going to do it. Well, you know, if there's one thing we need more of in this world, at large, it's humanity, it's, yeah. gra- it's grace, it's love. Like you're saying, this is truly barely starting to scratch the surface for me to think about this. And I'm going to be paying attention to the wording of things within our context of a daily business strategy conversation and, and things like that. And I'm so glad we got to do this, Dan. Uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes and, and sharing so much to think about. I want to make sure I give you a chance before we go to tell our listeners the best way to connect with you. You mentioned the articles that you're going to be doing. You want to mention uh, where they can find the blog and any other work you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I say the best place to find me is on Twitter. I'll just use that, you know, at Dan Dunlop, at D-A-N-D-U-N-L-O-P. You can always find me on Twitter. I've had a crazy year, so I haven't given my blog my blog nearly enough love lately. So I need to make this year where I, where I spend more love on my blog. But um, definitely find me at on Twitter, and you can, from there you can go anywhere, but or Google me. I'm pretty much uh, everywhere. Right on, Dan. Stay safe, stay well. Best of luck at everything you're doing to build this better version of healthcare. Thanks for for being friends and being in my life. Thank you, Jared. I feel the same way. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thank you.